Wednesday or Thursday, one or the other. They're leaving on Tuesday. We're leaving either Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning early. I'm not sure which for Indiana. They've got about <coughs> gay much snow on the ground. But thanks to you folks, <coughs> I've got new tires on the car. So I'm not worried about it one bit. And I didn't get no uh, off-brand either. I got Goodyear, so we're, we're in good shape. I'm feeling pretty good about that. <laughs> well, we were all fizzling around up here with this thing, and I'm almost tempted to say, play that again. So I, could, I, I didn't get to hear I didn't get to focus on it like I would like to. That, that was so great. I really appreciate that. And we're grateful for all of you that are here, too, this morning. Well, before I preach, we've got a special this morning, so... If uh, Sophie and Fisher, if you'd come this morning, we're looking forward to hearing you too. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Did you ever think that'd be going all the way from, at least we know from Colorado to New Jersey <laughs> and parts in between? That was great. Appreciate them being so willing to, to participate. Of course, I know sometimes mom and dad help them be willing, but that's okay. <laughs> we loved it anyway. It was just wonderful. And uh, by the way, just... Just by way of uh, mentioning, um, we've had s several opportunities to be at the Perry's home on Sunday evenings. We've been meeting there uh, quite frequently, and you know, I've not mentioned it a lot. Matter of fact, probably too little, but um, we do want you to know that it's open. Uh, you know, if you would like to come on a Sunday evening, we just sit around the table, we talk, probably nibble on a little bit of popcorn or an apple or two or, um, you know, some little goodie like that. But then we get the hymn books out, sing a few hymns, a cappella, unless one of the kids feel like heading for the piano, which they frequently do. Uh, Jude will run down there and say, oh, I know that one, and he'll go play it. 
And then we sit around the table and open the scriptures and discuss the word of God along with you know, events of life and how we apply those things to life and trying to you know, live out our faith. And so I just thought I would mention that once again, that, that you know, there's room for more. There's room for more, more hymn books that sit there that don't get used. Uh, it's a little bit different hymn book. We have to hunt for ones we know. It's a Plymouth Brethren hymn book, and boy, there's a lot of stuff in there I've never even heard of. Uh, and names of songs that, I mean, they're just different. That's all I can tell you. But I know the words are choice, and I wish we did have uh, a way to play the music for those, and so uh, it would be even better yet. So, yeah, well, they're great. I mean, they're awesome songs, uh, hymns. They're just great. So, anyway, I want you to know the invitation is open at 6, 6.15, 6 6.30. You know, we don't... <laughs> Whenever you get there, we operate kind of on island time a little bit. It's just, you know, I've mentioned this before, you know, I mean, I'm really late this morning. I'm in terrible shape. But, you know, we, we run so much on the clock, so much on the clock. And, I, I, and one of the things I really struggled with and I really had to get used to in the islands was just let the clock go. It's, it's when the event takes place. It's not the time, it's the event. And that was a cultural thing that really, that was probably my biggest barrier, I think, in all of missionary work, was getting past that. I could handle most everything else, but that one, that was a hard one, because I was a clock person, uh, as many of you are. And, uh, but I got over it. I don't worry about it, you know, now. I don't worry about it anymore. <laughs> so here we go. Well, we do thank you, and I thank you for the, especially for the, the Christmas gift. And of course, again, just over the top, appreciating uh, what you mean to us, and Janet and I, and we're just thrilled to be a part of this ministry. Thrilled for those of you who are able to be with us this morning. And our visitors with us, Danny back here and Mickey over here. Glad to have you here. And um, anyway, it's a great time. I'm going to just tell you, it's a great time to be a Christian. It is a great time to be a believer in this book. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. And the Lord is doing a great work in this world. But not only in this world but in me. And that means he's doing a work in you individually. And that's just a, an incredible thing when you think about how vast and big God is and you know what is big universe he's taken care of here. And yet he doesn't overlook the individual heart of each one of us. We're going to see that just a little bit here today in this second test of our faith that James is dealing with. So let's look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And there he says, My brethren, 
have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and have you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou here, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are ye become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, or said also, do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, yet if you kill, thou, that's the individual, thou individually art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, that's all of you, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. Now, that's a long passage. Don't think I'm probably going to make it through here today. It's all, you know, it's all connected. You want to, you'd like to be able to just do the whole thing at one shot. Um, and we've done parts of this before. But James continues on, my brethren. So he continues this intimate contact with his readers by calling him my brothers. And he begins this second test with a negative, have not, or hold not, as some translate it. Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Now, is there any chance you can go print off my thing, Jeff? My pr print, print that, my notes. Remember I said I couldn't get the printer? We're still working that wireless printer. I keep wanting to call it airless printer. I don't know why that comes up. <laughs> it's wireless printer. It's airless. There's air back there, but I can't get the wireless. Uh, it's my first time to work that thing, so, and I hit print, but it didn't print. So uh, I'm going to see if I can get my notes done here, but I have something I want to share with you that I, I, I've got to read it. It's a verse from uh, Young's literal translation. But what I want to point out here is very simply this little phrase, uh, the Lord of glory. And you see that it's the, the words the Lord are in italics. In between the words of glory belongs an article. It's of the glory. And translators or inter and interpreters have a difficult time deciding which way to translate. 
based on their interpretation of the passage. And you can see that the King James translators decided to leave the article out, add in the words, the Lord of, of glory. And <clears throat> the focus here is on this respect of persons, or actually the word respect is plural. So it would be better understood or read to be acts of partiality. Showing acts of partiality. Now this, this thing really, I, I got so bogged down on one verse, it's about to kill me. Uh, on this first verse. <laughs> I spent, I couldn't tell you how long I spent on this one verse. I started whining to Seth. I said, I can't get off this thing here. It was, it was just, well, there's, there's a lot there for number one, but number two, you know, you, you've got to take the rest of it in with it. You know that literally, I think I've shared this with you before, that this acts of partiality or with uh, showing of faces. That's what it really literally means. Showing respect to faces. And we've talked about that on several occasions. That God is no respecter of faces. And that simply means he takes no account when he sees a person, and, and if you have to use your sanctified imagination just a little bit here, but when he sees a person... He takes recognition of them, but he takes no recognition with respect to... Thank you, Jay. Uh, yeah. He, he takes no recognition in terms of favoritism or bias or anything else. He is totally and completely impartial. So we talked about the uh, song you got to hear this morning. In, in a sense, it has nothing to do with anything. I was just simply using it. You know, Tevya from Fiddler on the Roof. Now, how many were familiar with that? A, a few, but several of you weren't. Now, we've watched that thing on TV several times. I, I saw it at the movie theater the first time I ever saw it. Many, many years. Well, actually, when it first came out, which was a long time ago. And, and I didn't know half of what the whole thing was about then. I mean, let's see, many years ago. Yeah, that would have been whew, early 70s. Early, maybe, yeah, early 70s when I saw that movie. So that was a long time ago. And I, I had no clue um, what half of that movie was all about. Now I can appreciate it. I love watching it. I, I love picking up on the, the Jewish thoughts that are uh, in that. And here's this guy, Tevya. He's desiring to be a rich man. If I were a rich man, because <laughs> he's mighty poor, as you know, and in Russia, in the days uh, leading up to the revolution, back in 19, which took place in 1917. And uh, James is dealing with this contrast. Now, I did, my first request to Jeff was, I wanted to play Goldfinger the theme from Goldfinger. <laughs> but I'll, I'll share that with you in a minute too. <laughs> but here we have 
this issue taking place in the assembly of the saints in the first century in which partiality or favoritism was being shown. And James really cuts to the heart of the issue. And so we have to kind of move a a, a little bit fast over a few verses here to catch his thought there uh, to to pick up on this. So let's just move on. Verse 2, he says, if there comes into your assembly, and and the word assembly there is the word synagogue. That's a little clue to let us know that this is an early written letter. They were still referring to the assembly as a synagogue, although the word church is used over in chapter 5 of this book. The word synagogue, which just means assembly in the same way, or can mean assembly in the same way that uh, ecclesia means assembly, it was still being used. And for a long time, I just had pictured in my mind, well, okay, the Jews met there on Saturday, and the Christians must have met there on Sunday. <laughs> they assembled on Sunday, you know, it was not being in use in that day. But I've come to see or believe that they were undoubtedly meeting somewhere else. And the term synagogue here was not being used in the technical sense of a, an actual location of a building called a synagogue, but it was an assembly when they brought themselves together or gathered together, as Corinthians tells us, how how Paul used the term there to refer to the time when all the believers would come together, gather together, where? In homes. That's all they had. They would not have been particularly welcome in a synagogue. And he tells them there, then, in the time you're meeting together, he said there comes in a man with goodly apparel, and there comes in a a poor man, a vile, in vile apparel, dirty, shabby clothes, as it were. Now, that tells us something else about the nature of these meetings, that it was obviously open to the public. They didn't meet behind closed doors. So even though they were meeting in homes, there was some kind of openness to the meetings that they held. In comes a man with a gold ring. Well, okay, now you know about Goldfinger. And the word there really could, is probably better understood as a gold-fingered man comes in. Doesn't mean that he just comes in and, well, looky there, there's a guy with a gold ring on his finger. You know, he, he comes in displaying his wealth by the gold that is on his hand. And like you see some today, he undoubtedly had a lot of rings on his finger. And maybe many of his fingers, I don't know. But he obviously, by the way he was dressed, he was totally set apart from the rest of the congregation, those in the assembly, as opposed to then the one who comes in in the vile raiment or the shabbier clothes. 
set apart totally and completely. And these are set off in opposition, or grammatically, opposition to one another. Uh, um, They're not congruent with each other. Hence, I titled the message, Rich Man, Poor Man. (laughs) So, it's not a pleasant situation that they're about to enter into here. Because James then, and by the way, he says in goodly apparel, it's interesting terms that James uses there. Uh, The word goodly means bright, gay you know, gorgeous apparel, finely dressed, as many Jews were wont to do, the wealthy ones especially. As a matter of fact, if you turn over to verse 3, where he said, in my Bible, I have to turn over. He says, and if you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing. The word gay there is the same word as over here as goodly. They both mean the same thing. Lampros, the brightly colored, colored clothing. And there come in this poor man in, obviously, the opposite. Doesn't look the same. And then he says, and you have respect to him that wears the brightly colored clothing. Obviously, they are showing partiality. They are regarding the face of the one coming in who has the goodly apparel on, the bright colored clothes. And they evidently give him a seat of prominence or a seat of comfort. Whereas the other person, he says, stand over here. (laughs) He doesn't even give him a seat. You either stand over here or you sit here under my footstool. Now, I don't know how you would literally sit under a footstool, but um, it, it depends on the, how this situation was. If they're meeting in a home, if they were reclining, then it could very well be that he just took a lowly place, a position in reclining while the teacher was doing the teaching of the Scriptures. And the wealthy guy had the more prominent place. But the issue at point here then, Paul says in verse 4, is are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? So within themselves... They have become partial or discriminatory and ultimately when he says in verse 6, you have despised the poor, you can think back to chapter 1 where Paul says, or Paul, man, here I go again, where James says, Concerning the one who is doubting, wavering. Because that, in essence, is what you are doing 
by showing your partiality. Not welcoming. In other words, when you receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, all middle barriers come down. Everybody is received on an equal plane. And then to turn around and having received Jesus Christ on that basis and then turn around afterwards and raise up a barrier is contrary to the gospel. That's what James is really telling us right there. Now, He's just using this as an example. This is not some total of what James is trying to teach us about the issue of partiality. In other words, he's not relegating this just to when a rich person and a poor person come in your congregation and then through your actions you discriminate between the two and show your partiality. It can happen in many other areas of life. And churches can do this in other areas than just that. And all James is trying to do is say, make your reception of the gospel and your attitude towards others, no matter what their status in life is, make it consistent. Act on what you know the basis and grounds of the gospel to be. And that is that the middle wall of partition that Paul talks about has been taken down, that there is no longer Jew, Greek, barbarian, Scythian, whatever. All are one in Christ. There's one new man in Christ. And so for each one, who has received the Lord Jesus Christ and is bearing that testimony of having received Christ, then you're to receive on an equal basis. But even then, he says, even to those visitors who come into your congregation, he said, this is totally contrary to what the gospel is about. Matter of fact, then, he says, when you, in verse 4, he says, when you become partial in yourselves like that, he says, you become judges of evil thoughts. Well, who would ever thought that such a simple little action that we would think of would be considered evil by James? But he's saying you've destroyed the whole nature of the gospel. You violated the terms of the gospel by such an action. As a matter of fact, we found out later on down here, he says, you do that, You've sinned. You've committed sin. It's that much of an offense to the gospel to do such a thing. So he says in verse 5, hearken. Listen, my brothers, he says. Listen. Has not God chosen or has not God made choice of the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. That little word for, or excuse me, of this world in Greek is to. Those who are poor to this 
world. Those who are poor with respect to the world's goods and have not. Now, like Tevye said in Fiddler on the Roof, he said, there's no shame to be poor. He said, if I had a little money, it'd be, sure be nice. <laughs> but it's no shame, he said, to be poor. You know, Jesus said, concerning the rich, it's difficult, hard for them to enter the kingdom. Apparently, James wasn't sitting too far away from Jesus' feet when, when he spoke these words. For the poor, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom. And I love this next phrase. When he says which he hath promised to them that love him. Because I immediately went back to chapter 1 and verse 12, you remember concerning receiving the crown of the life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. A repetition of the same phrase. What does that tell us then? It tells us that being an heir of the kingdom and receiving the crown of life or the life, are complementary terms, complementary expressions. They are both things that talk about the future. They are both things which speak of what is yet to come. The crown, which we said, I mentioned several times, it speaks of a kingdom. It's future. It's something that those who love him... And those whose faith stands the test is, are going to receive. And with regard to this specific test here, James says, will be heirs of the kingdom if they understand the nature of the poor and those whom God has made choice of to be heirs of the kingdom. Now, if you look to um, Matthew <coughs> in the Sermon on the Mount, which we preached through the Sermon on the Mount sometime earlier, and you remember the very, the very first beatitude that Jesus gave to the disciples as he was preaching this sermon, the very first words off of his lips was, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't just speaking here, I don't think necessarily, of those materially poor, although, and it seems to me like, James is speaking of those that are the same ones that Jesus was speaking of here, poor to the world. 
but the kingdom belongs to them. They are the ones who stand to inherit and not those who are rich. If you look over at Psalm 72, if you turn over there for a moment, Psalm 72. I don't remember exactly how I came across this now. <laughs> of course, we could go to 1 Samuel chapter 2 also, I think it is, with Hannah and her prayer. But there's a passage here I want us to look at. Psalm 72, and, and look at verse 12. He says there, For he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy, and shall save the souls of the needy. That is, rescue the life of, or save the life of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence, and precious shall their blood be in his sight. You know, consistently throughout Scripture, God takes note, special note, above and beyond of the poor and the needy. But he tells them in verse 6, you've despised the, need, the poor. You have despised them. That's incongruous with the gospel. How can you do such a thing? And so if you picture first century Christianity and James as he was writing to those 12 tribes scattered throughout the regions around Jerusalem, he understood the culture in which they were in. He knew what was going on in their assemblies and whether he had received reports. You assume that he had received reports of what was taking place. And he's writing to correct these measures to be sure that their practice of Christianity matched up with how they had received the gospel message. Rich men oppress you. They draw you before the judgment seats. Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called? That worthy name. Jesus, the Messiah. Now think that through just a little bit. Evidently, they would not have been blaspheming the name Christ or the Messiah because that's something that every Jew, whether they were believers in Jesus or not, had no reason to blaspheme such a name as that. But when they connected the name of Jesus of Nazareth with the Christ, and as being the Christ, that was what they were blaspheming, that worthy name. They were blaspheming those who claimed to be Christians or Christ's ones, those who belonged to Christ, the Messiah. And so he goes on then to tell them and add his corrective admonition then, if you obey, he says, 
or fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, if you continue showing your partiality, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. If you fulfill the royal law, the kingly law, the regal law, and we already know, and we've discussed, I think it's on uh, Wednesday with Ken, we've been in this passage frequently about the greatest law, the greatest commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And then he added on to it. He said, in the seconds like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The first one speaks about our vertical relationship with the Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. The second commandment relates to our horizontal relationships. And you'll love your neighbor as you love yourself. I'm going to tell you something. That just takes care of everything, doesn't it? Everything. And those two go together. You can't have them one apart from the other one. And if you fulfill that, he says, according to Scripture, then, he says, you do well. You do well. You have hope, then, of inheriting the kingdom. But if you don't, you're in danger. When your faith is being put to the test. So I don't know when all the times our faith is being put to the test as a congregation. But I know it does. God tests us. And then he tests us individually to see how we're going to deal with situations like this. Maybe not be with rich and poor, but situations of a similar nature where we show partiality for one reason or another. And he said that just, it just doesn't fit the gospel. It doesn't match up. And so if we want to have the hope of inheriting the kingdom, then we have to act in accordance with the gospel. And we have to keep ever before us the mindset of verse 8. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And I have to stop there. Well, let, let me throw one. Can I throw a couple things in? I have to. It, what's that? What if you don't love yourself? You're in trouble. <laughs> You're in trouble. You know, I, I mentioned in verse 1 that, that, that it says of the glory 
I want to read for you Young's literal translation of that verse because I think it speaks very well as to what the context of these things is all about. Now, well, anyway, let me read it. He says, my brethren, hold not in respect of persons the faith of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll notice then the articles, the faith of the glory. The glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is yet to come when he comes in his glory to sit on his throne of glory, as Matthew 25, 31 tells us. The other thing I wanted to, to mention here was that in... Um, well, I don't want to mention that one there. I'll skip that one. Okay. Just remember that when you read the book of James, though sometimes these things sound so disconnected and there's no, seems like there's no purpose to what James is writing and he just kind of runs from one subject to another, he isn't. What I've been trying to show is that the flow of thought from, begin, from verse 1 of James all the way through is tied together with receiving the crown of life and being heirs of the kingdom and fulfilling, fulfilling the tests of our faith successfully. Letting our faith stand strong that we don't waver, we don't doubt, we don't give in. We don't bring disrepute on the gospel. Even though once we have received the gospel, we understood the message of the gospel and then turned right around and violate the gospel. And here he's saying, when you receive Christ, Gentiles are allowed in as a part of the gospel. The barriers have come down, and now you're going to raise them back up. And he says, that should not be. It can't be if we want to be consistent with the gospel. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you now again for blessing us so, for enriching our hearts and our lives with the gospel, for calling us to this high station in life to be servants, slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, grant it to us that we would think in those terms to understand who we belong to and who owns us. And we'll ever thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.